We've been working through the 40 days of prayer. And each Sunday, as we've engaged, we've been reciting the Lord's Prayer together. And some of you have questioned me and asked, why don't we finish it? You're leaving off the last line. Well, there's, there's a bit of a reason for it. Today's the day that we're going to pull that in. And in a nutshell, we'll explain this a little bit later. In the earliest manuscripts, that little tagline wasn't there. And so we need to be careful when we pull some of those things back in that we're, we're not just accepting what may have been added in. However, this little phrase points back to the prayer in its entirety. And so it's very good. It, it's safe. It's, it's fitting. And so today is the day we will finish it. And it is our concluding uh, prayer together here then too, as, as well as we finish up these 40 days of prayer. So let's recite it together. Again, this is the NIV version, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So what, what we'll find, what I hope that we'll find is this last line in particular kind of encapsulates the whole prayer. And so we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be breaking down what does it mean and what, what does this look like in the kingdom and in the power and the glory. And we'll spend quite a bit of time on the glory aspect this morning. But it's a, it's a message of hope. You know, when Jesus gives us this prayer, it's not just like, okay, if you, as long as you do this and this and this and putting in that formula in that right order, then you'll, be, then you'll be set, then you'll be fine, then you'll earn, in a sense, your inheritance. And that's never what Jesus proceeds to tell us. It's never about, hey, as long as you get the formula right, then you get what it is that I have promised. And there's, a, there's just a beauty in what he's, what he's conveying in this message and such. But if we, if we keep our hope, I, I don't know how you felt. Leading into Thursday, I was incredibly hopeful. You know, because we're in the midst on Thursday of our second real big cold blast here in Minnesota. The first one came right before Christmas. And this one, after having that key stuck to my tongue last Sunday, it's like, I can't wait till this is over, Right? And so in the midst of it, on this Thursday, I'm eagerly awaiting to find out what I can put my hope in because everyone knows that on Thursday, you know what happened, right? This groundhog comes out of the ground named Phil, and if he sees his shadow, he gets scared and we're stuck with six more weeks of winter. I hoped beyond hope that he would not see his shadow. Can you imagine my disappointment when he saw his shadow and he ran back in? So that means that we're stuck with six more weeks of winter. You know, but he is only 40% right, which is probably better than most meteorologists. And what's interesting, though, is we, we look at this, and I don't know how much clout people actually put in this, this silly, you know, rodent. But even in the, in the realm of, like, professional baseball, batting 400 is really considered pretty good. You know, so Punxsutawney Phil, though he's wrong more than half the time, he's not doing too bad. He's batting 400. But as we, as we look at this idea of hope, it... If you watch the news, where in the world do you go with this idea of hope? You know, and uh, we can't help but be inundated a little bit with news. Some of us, I know, probably every night we, we watch whether it's the 5 o'clock, the 6 o'clock, the 10 o'clock, all of it. I don't know where you're at, whether it's CNN, whether it's Fox News. It makes no difference because the reality, the message that's being conveyed is not a message of hope. 
And when it is a message of hope, usually that hope is somehow conveyed through some form of, of politics shifting and changing from one side to the other, no matter what side of the political line you're on. That's where if it's conveyed, oh man, no hope, no hope, no hope. Well, if this happens, then we can have hope. And that's what we end up throwing ourselves into. And let's just be honest, that's empty. And then you look at other aspects of our, our news feeds and our culture, our society, our media, and when you, you have the violence against from one person to another, the inhumanity of it, whether it's these gruesome murders in Idaho, whether it's these mass shootings, it's, it's taking this idea, this, this picture of somehow I have devalued human life or someone has devalued human life that much where I'm just, there's no hope. And so as we look at that, it's like, where in the world is, how do we fix this? And what we find, what I believe anyways, is we have this society, this culture, this country, this world that we live in that is in, it's in turmoil because of us. We are the ones that messed up. We broke it, if you will. We're, we're the ones that, that sinned right from the beginning. We continue to sin now. And now, oh man, let's try to fix it. And all of our efforts to fixing it continue to make it worse. Is that fair? It just seems like everything's getting worse. And yet, I'm also convinced that somewhere in the midst of it, that's not where we as followers of Christ are to be. We are supposed to understand some kind of a different hope. And I'll tell you this right off the get-go, there is a hope, and the hope that is that evil will be conquered. Evil will be diminished. It will be eradicated, but it's not from what I can do. I do not have the power to get rid of evil in the world, but Jesus does. He does, and he did, and he will. And that is where I got to put my hope in this fact that evil will be destroyed. Jesus will destroy the evil. No matter what that evil is, he will take care of it all. And so we have this, this prayer. And so I wanna, what I want us to do today is we're going to step back. We're going to kind of recap a number of these different weeks that we worked through. I want us to take on this tagline that was put in there as it reflects back into it. But I want us to understand then this hope that is not only coming that is here that we can have, but then what's our role in the midst of this hope? If I can't remove evil from this world, then what is my point? And I believe that we'll see that revealed here as we look at the scriptures as well. So let's look back. Matthew chapter six. This was the beginning of it. We just recited this together. Pastor Chris took us through this one on January 1, the first day of the new year. He engaged us with us and it was our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he, he pointed us to this reality. When we look at this prayer that Jesus has laid out, it, it draws us in to have our hearts aligned with the heart of God. And I would be convinced, I am convinced, that when we look at our society and our culture, when we look at the evil and the violence, do we see hearts that are aligned with God? I don't see it. I see hearts that are aligned with what is it? for me? What do I get? What is it that I want? And when we, when we align our hearts in a sense with our sinful nature, this is what we get. That's what Adam and Eve experienced. This is what we experience. It, our sin nature comes and it flourishes and it blossoms. And this is the culture that we live in. But we as followers of Christ are to look at things different. We are in to invite that Holy Spirit, Lord, change my heart so that my heart can be aligned with your heart. And that allows me to look at you, God, and say, man, in the midst of all of this evil, you are holy, you are powerful, you are righteous. I can look back at Genesis 1, it's like, wow, 
from a very word spoken out of your mouth, you created these things into existence, and I can do nothing but let my jaw drop? What do I have to offer a king like this? Nothing but alleluia and the song that we just sang. It's, it's magnificent. And so that is where my, when my heart is drawn to align with the heart of God, I can't help but look at you, God, you are holy. Hallowed be your name. And that's where Pastor Chris took us right from the beginning. And then we, we began to look at your kingdom come in order for me to say, God, I want what it is that you want not only in this world, but in my life and in my heart, because it's easy to say, I want God's kingdom coming in this world, but just not right here. Because if it comes here, that means change for me. But it's okay for you to have change. For God's kingdom to come, it's like, if all of you guys could change, then we'd be all way better, right? But this is what my prayer's got to be. Lord, you got you, I want your kingdom to come, but I want my heart to align with yours. It's got to start here. I want your kingdom to come in here so that your will can be done not only in heaven as it always is, but also on this earth. That means I have a responsibility. We'll look at that more here today. And that your will be done not only in my life, but then in and around me. And then we look at when I can align my heart with God. We've talked about this. Lord, then I can say, I want what it is that you have for me. I accept whatever you have laid out for me. Give us a day or daily. Give me what I need. You know what I need before I even know what I need. And you've been faithful to continue to provide it. We prayed that already this morning together as the corporate body. Forgive us our debts. Oh, that's hard, but sweet. Lord, help me to see how much I desperately need your forgiveness. Help me to own my depravity, my true, genuine depravity, so that when I see what it is that I've been forgiven from, that I can also forgive others who have. So, it's kind of like this. When we see someone being selfish, I shared a little bit of the story last week. It's like, we call them out. Oh, you're so selfish. Not realizing my own selfishness in the midst of it, okay? And when I can see my own selfishness and then I see someone others, it's like, okay, I forgive you for that act of selfishness against me. Oh, this, is, this points back to God. Well, that's really what we're going to be seeing. This kind continued pointing back to who God is in the midst of it. And then last week, we, we dealt with this one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. And this, this spiritual battle is very real. Satan is real. The, the demons are real. Angels are real. There's this whole other realm that we sometimes think, well, maybe it's there, that I'm convinced is more real than what it is that we experience. Because it existed before what it is that we have here, it is more real than what it is that we acknowledge as reality. Oh, and then we get the tagline. And this points back to this whole prayer that we've just encompassed and we've just kind of recapped. It says, for yours is the kingdom. And this is that reflection. Okay, this is all about you, God. For yours is the kingdom. This is, this is your place. This is your kingdom. You're the one that created it. And it is your power. I love that because I have no power to eradicate evil. But Jesus does, and he will. I have no power to transform my own life. I know this because I've tried, and I've been unsuccessful. I mean, even throwing that word success in the midst of it just doesn't seem right. It's like, that's not a strong enough word. And then, oh, to yours be the glory. It's for you and to reveal who you are. And then uh, to throw this in this word, then we just don't have time to to cover all of this really today because there's so much that I want to include, but we're going to look at some really, really fun things. To yours be the glory, and it's forever. It's forever. And it's forever. Your kingdom is forever. Your power is forever. Your glory is forever. 
And then it concludes it with, let it be so. Amen. So I can't help but look, as I look at this, when I have my heart aligned with God, I, I reflect, just going down the same chapter, chapter 6, a little bit further on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses this picture. I, I can't help but think that somehow this was intended to be paired together somewhat because what we have in verse 19 and verse 20 is the two contrasts. One, I think in verse 19, shows what it is like when my heart is aligned with selfishness. And then verse 20 is the opposite, where my heart is aligned with God's heart. So look, look at this. This is what Jesus says. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, when I value the things in my life, my stuff, and I want to protect them, I want to keep it all safe, I want to keep it all shiny and polished, I'd like to say that's why I drive rusty vehicles. It's not. Do I want a vehicle that makes less noise driving on the road? I do, but yet that's not, I don't want to value it. I can't stand it. This is me. I can't stand it when I put such a value on stuff. Talking with my kids this week, this is just embarrassing. It's, it's, it's who I am. I shared an embarrassing story last week. Might as well share one in this week as well. Because I'm an idiot, okay? Despite the cup that I have that says you're not an idiot, I just feel like I'm an idiot. Anyway, I was talking with my kids this week. So it was a competition, we did this at one of the Super Bowl parties. I'm, I'm just so stupid. Uh, it was myself and another gentleman, and we had to put a puzzle together. And I'm usually pretty good at puzzles. And I got so into this thing, I have to win this. I have to win it. Winning is important. It became incredibly important to me. And it got to be so important. My kids pointed it out to me afterwards. And they were absolutely right. They weren't wrong. He said, Dad, you were so adrenaline rushed. You were shaking as you were putting that puzzle together. And I said, I know. And I can't stand it that I was that way, that, that somehow that moment in my life became so important to me that I had to win at this silly competition. It doesn't make sense. It's just absurd. And yet that's what I see here. It's like storing up. What did that get me? I think it got me a chocolate bar. Do I still have it? No. Did I enjoy it? I did, okay? But it's just like, it's like this idea of storing up this value, this treasure, and it's like, this is what I get. Look at, look at me. I count. I matter. Look at what I've done. And I'm storing up for this treasure, and it's like, do I still have the treasure? No. Well, maybe. And it's just like, that, that's what I pour myself into, and it's like, somehow this is vindicated and validated who I am. It doesn't make sense. So when I, when I store up for that, when I look at that part of me, this is what I see. It's like, I want to bring glory to myself. I want to, I want to let everyone to see how good I am. And I'm convinced, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I think now is the time. I'm convinced that when I reveal how good I am, this is what, this is what it looks like. Some nasty fruit that's probably been in your refrigerator for months. It's brown, it's soft, it's mushy. And that's what, that's, that's, that's what makes me valid. It's like, oh, I'm, taste me, I'm fruit. Yeah, you're kind of punky and mealy and bruised. And that's, that's the best I can do. When I, when, I, when I cause this to look at me and I store up these treasures and these validations for me, it's, it's the best I can do is just like, ugh. and that's what I've revealed. But... Jesus goes on and says, but store up rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves and do not break in and steal. So there's a contrast. Do this instead. That is just going to waste away, but I've got something so much better. And we're going to look at that, this idea of revealing it. And I'm convinced that this is, what he, this is what Jesus is getting at. When we look at the prayer, he wants our hearts to align with his heart. And this is really the pinnacle of it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
oh Lord, I want my heart to align with yours. That might mean that you have to do some changes on the inside, and I'm not ready for those changes, but I recognize that that's what's got to happen. Lord, I, you got to help me be ready for those changes. That's what it boils down to. So I want to look at, there's an account in the Gospel of John. Wonderful. It's actually very lengthy. We, so I've, I've picked and chosen, not necessarily verses, but it's just something that helps us to process through it. We, it starts in John 14, where Jesus is engaging with his disciples, and it goes on all the way through uh, 16, 17, and even 18, I think. And what we find is, Jesus is going to give us a prayer in, in John 17, but this is kind of where he starts in this monologue, and he's giving these disciples his final instructions. And we, he starts off, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, I understand you're going to have trouble in this world and I'm going to be leaving. I don't want you, if, if your heart is aligned with yourself, it's going to be hard for you. If your heart is aligned with me, I think you can find a spot where you won't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. When we've, these are verses we've heard perhaps many, many times. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Would I, excuse me, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? We get stuck sometimes right here. And I think it's a miss. And not that this isn't true, but I think we miss something in the midst of it. This is my opinion. So in my father's house are many rooms. Oh, good. That's great. If, I, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? So here's what we have. There we have this picture. There's this mansion and God's going up there, and he's preparing a place for me. That's sweet. So when, he, when I get there, what, what happens? Well, here, I got this place specifically for Ryan. Well, really, does it have a big screen TV? Well, sure. Does it have an Xbox? Absolutely. Whatever you want. Whatever can make you happy, slide into your room. There, I am in my room. I am in my mansion, and I am good. Jesus, you go do something else. I'm, I'm going to do this for a while. And I know we don't say that. And maybe oftentimes we don't think it, but I, I think sometimes, me, I fall into this. Oh, wouldn't it be light, nice to just be in that mansion, to be in that place that he's prepared for us, and just, oh, that would be great. Omitting the reality that he's got something better in store for us, and we're going to see it here in just a moment. And then Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You see it? This isn't just about a place. It's about being with Jesus. You know, I've said it before, and it wasn't me that, that thought it or wrote it, or someone much cleverer and, and more brilliant or whatever, educated, that came up with it. If, if you could have all that heaven had to offer, you have your mansion, you have your room, you have your place, you have all of the wonderful things, the streets of gold, the pearly gates, everything, you could have it all. But Jesus wasn't there, would you still want to go? And my answer, wow, sometimes would be, yep. Yeah, that sounds okay. And this gives you the heart of what God's heart is, he doesn't want you just to have a place. Here, go to your room. Enjoy, enjoy what I've prepared for you. He wants, here's the answer, to take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. He wants to be with us for eternity. You want to know, understand the heart of God? He wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. If that doesn't just knock you on your knees, flat on your face, like, you want to be with me? Do you know the wretch that I am? Yeah, I do. And I do. I want to be with you. That's the heart of God. And I want my heart to align with that because when I can come to understand how much he wants me, that changes how I look at human beings. And we're going to conclude with that here in a little bit. 
Thomas said to him, said, I don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse we've looked at a whole mess of times, right? Here's the image that I have. God wants to be with you. We, we recognize that. So God's got his house, all right? He's got his mansion, if you will. And that mansion is locked away from us. We can't get in. We, and maybe God has even said, this is, you know, proverbially, so work with me on this one. God's even said, it's like, okay, I'll let someone in, but there's only one way you can get in. One way. Let's say from the beginning of time, there's only one way you can get into this house. One way. And that is, you have to live your life perfectly according to the law. If you can live your life perfectly according to the law, I'll let you in. And so over and over and over again, you've got these religious leaders, you've got Pharisees, you've got great men of God saying, oh, look at me, I've done it. Can I come in? And God, to Moses, says, not a chance. God says to, to Joseph, not a chance. Every one of these, Abraham, sorry, nope, not a chance. What does it take? Perfection. Well, then what do I, what do, I, what do, I do? And God's saying, I have a path for you. And I understand Old Testament, okay, we're not going to get into that as far as sacrificial system, but, but I have someone. I will come in and live that perfect life. And Jesus did. And so then it says, Jesus is the way. God, in a sense, gave Jesus the key. Here's the key. Jesus can come in. And now Jesus stands at the door. Anyone who comes in and says, hey, can I come in? Well, you didn't live a perfect life. I know. But Jesus did. And Jesus says, yeah, I did. But then we have something else here. Does he know you? Because let's be honest, someone comes to your door, you don't know who they are. You look through the window, it's like you keep it locked. I'm not even opening the door. Our doorbell doesn't work. So if you ever come to our house and ring the doorbell, why wonder why we don't answer? It's because the doorbell doesn't work, okay? So just keep ringing it. Maybe eventually someone will actually exit and say, oh, what are you doing here? One time, this was, you may not know, years ago, Roland Jennings, he passed away a number of years ago. Uh, he would deliver us peanut brittle every year. And one time he came to our door and I had forgotten my house keys in the door. <laughs> and so he just, you know, hung the door and then he said, he is Irish. You remember it, Roland? Oh, trusting people you are here on the West side, aren't you? Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But Jesus had the key and he lets in those who he knows. That's it. That's the gospel. He lets in those who he knows. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes in unless they know me, unless I know them. First seven says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him because, and you have, from now on, you know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, oh, this is good. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, if you know me, you know the Father. If you know the Father, you know me. I have lived my life and I've done nothing. Jesus' words revealed him. Over and over, I have revealed him. Because my heart was aligned with his heart and everything I do was to reveal him and who he was. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Everything that Jesus has done is because the Father is living in him and his heart is aligned with the heart of God. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. 
as I have done these things and they have revealed who the Father is, let that be the testimony. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. In other words, if you follow me, you're going to do what I ask. You're going to obey. I know sometimes we get hung up on that, but this is really what it means to you. Is it because of obligation that I'm going to earn my way into heaven? Absolutely not. If you go there, you're missing it. Then we've got to go all the way back to Galatians, which we just finished up, because that's not the gospel. The gospel is that you have been saved by grace through faith. But we have a responsibility as followers of Christ, and it is to have our hearts aligned with his. Why? So that we will reveal the Father. We'll look at that here as we go. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that, and we get stuck there, whatever I ask, oh, we're not going to get into that. So can I have a big screen TV in my room? Is that, is that what he's getting at? No, that's, you're missing the point. Can I do this? Can I have this that it might reveal you? Perhaps the answer in that would be different. So that the Father may be, here it is, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Why will Jesus give you the answers to your prayers? Because he wants it to glorify the Father. You know, I've, I've used this illustration before and it was a number of times, perhaps when we went through the Gospel of John, but it's the idea of when Jesus does the works that reveal the Father, it's, it reveals his glory. His glory was always there. When, he, when we look at the prayer that we're going to look at here in just a moment in John 17, and it says, glorify me as I glorify you, the glory of God's always been there from the beginning. You're even going to see Jesus say, glorify me with the glory that I had before I came. All right? It's not like somehow we can glorify God and make him better than he ever was. It's always been there. But as Jesus continued to obey the Father, and live in a life that was in conjunction with him, he would just kind of reveal, he would reveal the Father. It's always there. But as Jesus continued to do that, it's like he pulled back the veil and just revealed the light that was there from the very beginning. I want you, you want to see the Father? Watch what I do. I'll reflect the Father. How do you like that, Kate? Is that okay? Do you see? And so... What Jesus is basically saying, and we're going to see this in this prayer, it's just going to be magnificent because Jesus' whole life was based on, I want to reveal this glory of God. The enemy wants to shroud it. He wants it to keep it hidden. He doesn't want any of you to see that God is already all glory and full of glory. He doesn't want you to see it. He wants to keep the world hidden. It's like, no, you don't have to worry about that. All you got to do is worry about yourself. Enjoy your rotting fruit. You'll be fine. And Jesus is saying, it's not about your rotting fruit. Come on, reveal the glory of God. And how will we do that? We're going to talk about that in here in just a moment. So John 17, we won't, this is a long prayer. We're not going to go through it all, but he, Jesus basically whew, blows your mind with this prayer because he prays for himself in, in the midst of his relationship with God. He prays for his disciples. He prays for us, those who were not yet believers and it's just incredible when you look at who God is and he's praying for us. But just understand the heart of what's going on here in conjunction with the prayer that he taught us to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And so after this, Jesus, Jesus, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. In other words, Father, the time has come. I want you to take and reveal who I really am. Now's the time. Reveal it. Let the people see that I am the light, that I am full glory. Let the people see. Pull that back. Pull that veil back. I want them to see. It's time. The time has come for them to see who I really am. 
that your son may glorify you. So that when you glorify me, guess what? We're going to peel that back. We'll let you see God glorified as well. For you granted him, this is the son, granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have, all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. And this fits just what we've just been looking at already today, that they know you. What's eternal life? To know God. Not just to know his name, not just to believe in God, but to know him and to be known by him. This is magnificent. The only, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is there to say, basically, what is it? What's eternal life? I want people to know who I am. I want them to believe in me and what I have brought. It's salvation. Why? Because we've obeyed all the rules? No. And yet we're called to obedience. I have brought you glory. I have revealed it on this earth. I have taken it. I have pulled it back so the world can start to see who it is that you are. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world began. If that doesn't say Jesus is eternal, I don't know what does. Okay, And there's other passages of the scripture. Is Jesus really God? Hey, man, this really lays it out for you, right? I have revealed you. I have pulled it back. I revealed your glory to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. They recognized the truth for what it was. They have obeyed it. They have put their faith in me. I know them. Now, they know that everything that you have given to me comes from you. They recognize it. They see it. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. The enemy wants to keep this shrouded. When we love Jesus, it reveals his glory, but the enemy wants so much, oh, we hate it when you reveal the glory of God. You know what? I don't know why, because that means that I am this. In a comparison, I am this, and I'm not okay with that. So keep that shrouded, then I don't look so bad. But when the glory of God is revealed, I am revealed for really what I am, and I'm not okay with it. And so instead of allowing the Spirit to transform me and align into the glory of God, we just keep it hidden. That's what the enemy wants to do. When we look at the temptation, when we look at the, the sins that we have, that's what he wants to do. He wants to keep it hidden. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of it. In other words, they're called to something different. They're different. They're not part of the world anymore. They see your glory for what it is. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, don't let the enemy shroud my glory and convince them this is all there is. I want them to see the hope. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe. And this is for us. He was praying for us and me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, when we understand this prayer that Jesus is laying out for us, when we show unity, when we do what God wants us to do, when my heart is aligned with his, and I obey him because I love him, it reveals the glory of God. And it reveals it, and the enemy can't stop it. 
He's going to try to shroud it, but he can't stop it. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. When we have unity that's inexplicable, when the world looks at us like, why do you have such unity and love for each other that reveals the glory of God? It doesn't make sense to the world. The enemy says, well, that doesn't make sense. You should hate that person. Cover it up. Rely on your own strength, even if it's rotting. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am. You see that? What is the heart of God? He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. When I have my heart aligned with him, it's like, oh, I want to be with him. And I'm just astounded that he wants to be with me. And to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's amen. It's all about him. What do we do with this in a practical way? And I, I don't know. There's a lot of ways that this can look. When we, when we demonstrate unity, when we demonstrate love one to another. You know, and we struggle with the evil that's in the world right now, especially when I seem to feel powerless to do anything to change the evil, to pull that evil away. And it's, it's difficult, and I may say some things that upset some of you right now, and that's not my heart, but I see something in the midst of our culture, in the midst of our society, when I talk about the violence when we talk about the way that the enemy has tried to shroud the glory of God over and over again, we get so okay with, as long as I'm here, I have a belief in Jesus Christ, but I can rely on my own strength. I think we're missing perhaps an opportunity to reveal his glory. With, with the decision that was done in Minnesota here this last week, it's heavy to me. And I, I identify with why. And I, I look at this in First Peter and I, what do we do with this? You know, in this context of First Peter, we don't have time to get into all of it, but in First Peter it says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish people. When I do good, and it's not just doing good things, it's doing them for the right reason. In other words, having my heart aligned with God's heart, so that the Spirit leads me to do something that when God calls me to do something, then I react to that. That's doing good. And it reveals God's glory. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. In other words, don't cover up the evil and pretend that it's okay. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. And in, in this context, in the midst, as a follower of Christ, I have a very difficult job and I don't know the answer. But to follow the Holy Spirit is the only way that I can go. And I feel like we've been given a picture. And this, this really bring, brings this idea, two things, into individuals as well as the church. We have a responsibility. Genesis chapter 1. This is where we get the picture. God said, let us make mankind in our own image. Oh, it's, it's astounding. There's something special about humans. 
And that's why I believe that when we look at the violence, when we look at the mass shootings, when we look at this stuff, we are so disturbed. When I look at this Idaho situation, which was a number of weeks and months ago now, I just like makes my skin crawl. Why? Because someone goes into there, and I don't know, I'm not casting blame on, maybe he's guilty, I don't know who's guilty yet, but someone is, and someone goes in there and is able to do what they did as gruesome as it is, and somehow they lost sight of the reality that those were humans made in God's image. Those were four humans that reflected the image of God. And it's like, how could someone do that? I don't have an answer. But somehow the enemy has shrouded this enough to say, doesn't matter, there is no image of God anymore. You don't have to worry about that. It's just about you and your image. Great. Sorry, world. You got a rotten orange and a couple of mealy apples. If I'm your hope, that's all you're going to get. Genesis 9 is, is in conjunction with that. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their sh- blood be shed. Why? And I understand. And we can touch on it in just a moment. I don't want to go too long, but there's a few really sweet things going on here. For in the image of God has God made mankind. There's something different about humans. There's something different. You're not a dog. You're not a cat. You're not just any old animal. You're a human. And you carry with you the image of God. I remember an occurrence, I've shared it before, and I I can't bring you into my mind. I can't bring you into my heart to what I experienced of that. But we're in the Dominican Republic with a bunch of students. We go to an orphanage. And this is an orphanage where they took kids into the orphanage who had been by families, by whoever, taken and cast out literally, and I'm not, I kid you not, thrown onto the curbs, left on the street side because they were deformed, handicapped, whether it was mentally, physically, they were just discarded, like thrown into the dumpster. I'm not exaggerating. This is who was in this orphanage. Everyone in there. Could I talk with them? No. I could talk to them, but there's no communication back and forth. They can't do anything for themselves. And yet they carry something sacred. They carry the image of God on their faces. And there's also, I, I know this is a hot-button topic. I'm not trying to push buttons on the hot-button topic. But unborn children carry the image of God as well. And when we, I just got to say, so I'm not more important My image is not more important. Your image, the mother's image is not more important. Who is more important? The child, the mother, the father? The answer is yes. I don't have a good way to explain that mystery otherwise. The answer is yes. Every one of them carry the image of God. And because they carry the image of God, they have incredible value. So what do we do, church? What do we do with this? Where's our our hope? I'll tell you this. I've seen some really sweet things coming from even from this body. When I see people who love people and love children well enough where they're going to engage heavily in the foster care system, they're going to engage heavily in the adoption process. My sister has gone through incredible pain in her heart and in her soul as she's worked to adopt children that kind of had been thrown off and discarded. It's just a mess. But God bless her soul because she continues to love in the midst of it. Some of you also have done that. Some of you have been the recipients of that. But when we look at our lives as a follower of Christ, and my heart is aligned with God's heart, what do I do? 
I have to love. Whether that's loving the unborn child, whether that's loving the mother with an unexpected pregnancy, whether that's trying to walk through and love a father who has no, seemingly no power in the midst of it, whether it's caring for those families who have tragically lost someone because of an act of violence. I don't have all the answers for it, but I'll tell you this. God's going to rid the world of evil. Praise him for it because I have no power to do it. But yet, what is my role in the midst of it? And it's to love well, because when I love well, and I care for those who carry the image of God, it reflects his glory. It gives just a glimpse. Can I do it well? I do it very poorly. But it gives just a glimpse, just a glimpse of God's goodness. So let's conclude with this. It gives us a bit of a picture of how it's going to end. Okay? It's like, well, thanks for the downer. Okay? Oh, Revelation 12, verse 10. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God, and the authority of the Messiah, for the accuser of our brothers and sister who accused them before our God day and night has been hurled down. In other words, Jesus is going to win. It might feel like he's not winning now. It might feel like everything evil is happening and it keeps getting worse. How do we fight this evil? Jesus will conquer the evil. In the midst of it, I have a job, I have a role, and that is to do good And it is to carry that image of God as best as I can, as my heart is aligned with him, to reveal his glory to others. They triumphed over the evil one, okay? That's the hymn. By their strong work and efforts and obeying the word. It's not quite right, is it? They conquered him because of the blood of the lamb. That's where your power is. That doesn't diminish that I obey the word because it reveals his glory. But this is really where the power is by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, because we, we professed, look at what God has done. If you go look what I've done, I solved the puzzle and got enough rot, rotten apple. Okay? They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Jesus is going to win. Evil will be destroyed. I want my heart to be aligned with his, that what I do reflects his glory to all those image bearers of God.